prepared to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Good evening, good afternoon, my friends. It is Monday, November 14th. I am Kyle Serafin, and I have with me producer Phil and Stephen Friend, uh, all former and or permanently suspended FBI agents. And uh, in a conversation Steve and I had today, he said, we are the suspendables. So um, we are going to just leave this art- this uh, stream titled that for right now, because that's pretty funny to me. Um, I am going to kind of run through a couple of topics that we're going to kind of weigh in on and, and see what's going on today. And uh, I want to thank the folks that watched last time. Thanks for tuning in. I know there's something like 40,000 of you potentially uh, on um, truth and and between that and Twitter, but I know at least one person is watching. My buddy Joe Puglis, who is a, a police officer in Maryland. If any of you guys saw my podcast out in with uh, Dan Bongino, he's the guy that actually got fired from the FBI for not wearing a jacket, a suit jacket, on his way to court. And uh, for those of you who have ever seen what an initial appearance looks like. Half the time, the uh, case agents and or the police officers are wearing whatever they grab somebody in. Um, it can be ripped jeans and a T-shirt. And so to get fired over not having a jacket when you had a shirt and a tie on and a pair of slacks is very indicative of how broken things are in the FBI, in my opinion. And I saw that going all the way back uh, 2017. So um, Joe, thanks for watching. He always sends me a couple of good text messages while the, while these things are going on and he was stoked that we were going to do it. So uh, Steve, welcome. Thanks for joining me again, bud. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And Phil, thanks for running the, uh, the technical aspect of it. It exceeds my capabilities. Yep. Anytime. And for folks in the live feed, get your comments in. We'll get your questions answered. So Phil will keep us uh, appraised of whatever comes in there because I only have one ability, which is just to talk and focus on not swearing. That's my biggest focus. It's uh, difficult. Even my children occasionally will drop like an F-bomb on me, and they're far too young to do that. So it um, takes <laughs> all my mental energy. So Steve, we had a kind of a busy uh, busy Monday already. What, what were you, who, who did you talk with today? Uh, well, I appeared with Tracy Beans earlier this morning, talked to her for uh, an hour on her podcast. And, uh, and I think the way we left it, I'm going to be reappearing there. So, uh, so it was a good discussion about everything that, that, you know, went on with, uh, my whole whistleblowing. Uh, and then I also got an invite to appear with, uh, the, the goat, Mr. Glenn Beck tomorrow at 10 o'clock Eastern on his radio show. And, uh, I think it's mostly going to be tied to my appearance on his Wednesday night TV special. Wonderful stuff. So, um, folks, if you want to keep an eye on what uh, Steve's doing, if you uh, check out, he's got his handle underneath his video feed right there. If you've got your right hand, maybe right hand um, at real underscore. There it is. Yep. You got it at underscore (laughs) real Steve friend, uh, Steve with a VE friend and uh, follow him on truth. You can. Are you on uh, Twitter, too, or no? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't deal with that. Said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not jumping into the cesspool. It's just me. <laughs> I'm just waited in there by myself. Um, and then, uh, Phil Kennedy, if you guys want to follow Mr. Producer, Phil Kennedy, uh, he did this a bunch. Uh, he was like a sneaky FBI agent that was like rolling running this podcast on the sly. I found out about it afterwards. He's like, Oh yeah, I've done a couple hundred episodes on financial stuff. So we're going to get Phil's take on something in just a second here. Um, yeah, the Dark Delight podcast, if you guys are not watching that with Tracy Beans, Frank and Beans, uh, they do a really good job and it's a really easy conversation. It's fun to do, to be on the guest end of it. And I think it's really easy to listen to. So I just spent uh, an hour, did that today. Good information, 
easy format to digest. So listen to Tracy Beans. And I don't know, I think I introduced you to her. Does that sound correct? Um, about even her her website? Yeah, you introduced me to her and then she dropped the whole like, well, Kyle told me I should ask you this today. So I was oh, a, that's true. a little bit nervous. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's... Uh, so the thing is, is that I found that... Uh, that uh, Tracy did an incredible write-up on kind of the experience that Steve and I and some of the other whistleblowers that haven't been named um, are kind of going through. And she did a great job summing it all up in like one aggregate piece. And when I saw that, I knew I had to reach out to her. So that's, you know, she's a friend now and uh, and we keep in touch with her and we're grateful for her help and kind of spread our message. So, all right. Um, I had kind of an eventful morning. I got to, for the first time in probably 35 years, do a radio show with my dad. Um, so my dad has been in the news media since before I was born. He was the, uh, the manager of KCBS in the San Francisco Bay area, which is the, F- uh, the, the FBI is <laughs> the CBS flagship, um, that does radio out there in the Bay area and, uh, was the news director when I was born. And so it's kind of exciting for me that I got a chance to be on the radio with him first time, probably since I was like a couple years old, uh, when I was a kid, they would drag us in and like put us on the, the producer's lap and have us say things we didn't understand about finances. And then they would, um, dub over it and make these promos and whatnot but uh sat down and did his radio show today with a couple guys from the gila county in um in uh, arizona the gila county republicans so i did that and then i talked to my, my new buddy dan bongino and talked to him for a little bit about some of the stuff some of the problems in the fbi with diversity equity and inclusion so if you folks didn't catch that i will try to find some of those clips there's a service that's called audio burst did i send that to you uh steve have you seen that before no so if folks haven't seen it, it's a it's a neat website. Um, it actually samples like real time, and then I think they go back into the archives. They archive uh, real time live radio from across the country. Various stations can sign up for it. Some shows sign up for it, and then some of it I think is just sample off uh, whatever's being broadcast on the web. But it gets anywhere from. 60 second to five minute clips that came from live radio. So if there was somebody that you knew was supposed to be on a radio show and you wanted to hear what they had to say, you can search their name and it'll pop up and um, and it has kind of like a transcript as well. So kind of a neat service, audioburst.com. I don't know how long they've been around, but I found clips of stuff that I was on a month ago. I found Julie Kelly from American Greatness on there and um, you know, once you do your, your Glenn Beck show, I'll I'll dig it up and I'll try and find you some links for that too because it's kind of a neat thing to be able to put out for folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the convenience of not having to like dig through a three hour show and, you know, pinpoint it. I know, I know my, my mom would really appreciate that. Because <laughs> just, just, the, sit just through. the three minutes she's looking for. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I know our families are all kind of, uh, you know, they have limited interest in a lot of politics, I think. And it's only the fact that we're here and, and dealing with it is maybe a piece. So, yeah, um, I Phil, just we had a, bad. just <laughs> setting them to a three rates. hours. <laughs> yes. Poor thing. <laughs> That's what she. That's what she bought into by having a son with principles. It turns out, poor woman. Yes, indeed. Uh, Phil, I want to talk about FTX, this cryptocurrency. So, for people who didn't know, and if if you've never seen a Phil Kennedy podcast, uh, he spent a lot of time. He is my like resident crypto expert. He's been trying to get me on Bitcoin. Um, instead, I invest all my money in firearms and night vision and thermal scopes. So I don't know which one is going to climb high enough first. If the computers all go down, I think I win. Uh, but if Bitcoin continues to be a, a commodity that people can trade, then uh, you can obviously do well with that. But I, I'm curious on your take, FTX, um, Democrat donor, and now collapsed. Can you kind of give us the quick and dirty on what you know about it? Yeah. So I wasn't too familiar with this guy 
before. I had seen him going around and he especially gained notoriety in the last month or two. I think Kanye called him out and said, hey, this is the guy who controls the crypto markets. Uh, he recently tweeted, his name is SBF for short. He recently tweeted uh, the other day, I'm sorry, that's the biggest thing. I effed up and I should have done better. If uh, you want to find his tweet storm, you can find it at SBF underscore FTX. Uh, but this guy, he's just your typical uh, Johnny-come-lately Bitcoin CEO. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun with this. For those who've been in the game since 2010, there have been ups and downs in the crypto markets like this multiple times. Uh, for anyone who was around back then, they remember that Mt. Gox got hacked. Mt. Gox was uh, magic, the something it's like some game that nerds played in high school magic the gathering or whatever and hey, they had their own exchange easy. and this apparently was like, i was a nerd in high school too i love that yeah <laughs> you knew the reference there's right hope away. for all you high school nerds out there like maybe you could be a gun-toting fbi agent yeah beard well i didn't know this until they collapsed and it was a similar story run by you know one of these doughy loser types who just manages to find this cush gig as a ceo of a crypto company back then it was mm -hmm. even worse because there weren't very many competitors now we have coinbase binance you know all these multi-billion dollar corporations um this one's particularly bad though because it was endorsed by people like kevin o'leary from the shark tank and you had uh, tom brady out there talk about what a great company this is and now, now we find would, out would you would you say that FTX crypto was like the fire festival of the crypto market? <laughs> you remember the fire festival? I, they like rented an island and then it just it didn't happen. For I sure. actually think that this guy is closer to like the Elizabeth Holmes of mm -hmm. crypto, where like he was super young and they and they wanted to make her like Steve Jobs and he was going to be like this, you know, finance guru. Yeah. What was her biotech company called? Theranos. <sighs> yeah. Theranos. 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 Yep. And, and, the, and it was all just, it's all vaporware. It just doesn't, it didn't exist. No. So the question, and I want to, and I'm curious if you dug into this at all, Phil. So the stories that I'm kind of catching, and I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if this is rumor. And since I haven't validated it, it's not my space to really know that much about it. The, the claim is, is that uh, the Ukrainian government was taking a lot of the money that was being sent over in humanitarian aid from the US and they were putting it back into this crypto. Does that, does that sound plausible? Does that sound like uh, like spin or hype or or conspiracy? Do I need a tinfoil hat or I mean, helmet? I would believe anything at this point. And then the other added bonus is that maybe it was being funneled back to certain Democrats. It's just the perfect perfect money laundering machine. Yeah. So we know for a fact that that there was something like forty million dollars that came out of this uh, this guy. What was it? S SBF. FBF. Um, so 40 million, I mean, I don't know, three letters, right? So he, uh, he was sending $40 million, he donated $40 million to Democrat candidates in this cycle, which is an awful lot of money. I think they said he was the second largest donor for this midterm cycle in 2022. Um, yeah. And, and I don't have any validation and I don't have any inside knowledge about whether or not he was in fact being heavily invested in by the Ukrainian government. But if that is the case, that's the scandal of, of our lifetime, I would say in a lot of ways. I don't know if there is a scandal of our lifetimes at this point anymore. <laughs> We're setting new lows every yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, if you remember watching the big short, the uh, Steve Carell character, he says, we live in an era of fraud. 
And mm-hmm. I can already imagine the American Greed episode. I can hear Stacy Keach already saying SPF's name. This is just perfect for the type of environment that we live in now. We, I mean, fraud pays, right? Being it does swearing out a fraudulent FISA warrant pays. Uh, you know, right. create standing up a phony crypto company pays. Uh, if you want to take the high road, if you want to do the right thing. That doesn't really pay. <laughs> no, it's really expensive. The it guys, turns out. Yeah. yeah, the guys in this and, group can speak to that. Yeah, as one of the suspendable, you have a suspendable shirt on almost, don't you? Look at that. It's got like a skull. It's got, it's got like some eagle wings. So yeah, being a suspendable is expensive, and uh, and so that kind of leads me to. I mean, we'll we'll kind of leave this since I don't have as much information about this guy, but I do, I do think that if that does turn out to be the case, then yes, it's the next lowest level until the next lowest level, which we will continue to dig our way down into the pit. Um, Steve, I wanted to, to run through, I heard something and I think that the, 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 the actual experience that you had the day that you were suspended, I think would be interesting to people. Um, so first of all, how many, are you without pay or are you currently getting paid through your leave? I'm without pay. I'm done with all my leave. Okay. So, and, and I've been there for a little while, so I I know what that feels like. It's, it's a, a, an exciting step into the abyss. So if you're listening and if you're watching and, you know, just kind of imagine that you decide to do the, what, what I believe is the right thing. I think Steve agrees it's the right thing. That's why we kind of put our life on the line for this, uh, certainly our financial life. And you do what you're told you're allowed to do because that's what we're sworn to do. That's how we're trained. Um, and if, if people have seen the, the profiles I have on social media, you'll I have a little blip about the Holocaust Museum that, that Phil actually cut together for me. And it's all about standing up for what you believe is the right principles and trying to avoid sort of the atrocities that uh, human beings have the tendency to do. And then you step off the plank and the the free fall is, you know, you haven't hit the water yet. I haven't hit the water yet. I don't know. I'm sure I'll swim. I'm sure you will too. But tell me about the day that, you know, they, they basically told you that uh, you're out of here. How does that go? All right. So uh, I, man, it's crazy how it worked out even that I uh, arrived to the office because Normally in the mornings, I would go to the uh, the sheriff's office and check in with the uh, the child exploitation unit. But over that weekend, uh, the wife and I we we moved our uh, our bank accounts uh, over into uh, a small credit union. So I got a new bank card, and for years I'd had this red debit card and this blue FBI charge card that I used to guess up my uh, my bureau vehicle. And so it was never any problem. But the new bank card was blue. So I accidentally swiped my FBI charge card over the weekend at Walmart. And I Which is actually was... a policy violation. Yes. And I, I, as soon as I did it, like it was like halfway through the swipe and I was like, no. <laughs> and uh, so I immediately, you know, message to the boss. Uh, and at that point, you know, he knew time was going to be up for me because he was, he gave me this like, oh, I just really hope you enjoy your weekend, Steve. It's okay. Um, and I, so I was freaking out. I was like, I don't want to get jammed up. I'm going to run to the office first thing, talk to the finance people. Yep. So I, uh, pop into the office. How, how big back. is the office there in Daytona? How big is that? Uh, it's like eight agents and, uh, some support staff. So maybe like a dozen people. Okay. Uh, it's small yeah, it's, office, small office personnel wise, way more space than we really needed. Um, but, uh, walk in the back entrance where the JTTF normally sat. And uh, the hour I was getting there was like, you know, eight o'clock. So JTTF normally rolls in like an hour after that late. Um, so the lights are normally off, uh, but I see the uh, the lights are on. 
And my desk is the first uh, cube that you, you go past. And I see that the desk is clear. And this is your desk I'm is cleared off, cleared off. And oh, that's fancy. I, I'm like, man, they, all right, let's see how long this takes. And about a second and a half later, my boss and the, uh, the ASAC walk from around the corner and just give me this little, like, yeah, you know what, you know, what's going to happen now. Don't you Steve? It's interesting. And, so now uh, did they have all your stuff boxed up? Did you have, I mean, so all right, first of all, what, what, what kind of agent are you? Are you a, I love me shrine desk or are you a, I've got work to do and I don't even need a name tag. Cause I know my name. Um, yeah, clean desk. But for the most part, it wasn't that big of a, a change to my regular desk. Um, if anything, I was like, you, you guys realize that when you were doing this, the computer that I've been working with, that the side panel is falling off of because you won't get me a new computer. Like maybe that, that drew their eyes. Um, <laughs> But no, I have uh, like one picture uh, with my wife and uh, one of those, you know, kids put their hand on the, uh, on the plate thing and yep. uh, that's about it. Yeah. That's so it. just the so, reasons that you're at work. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Now, so uh, for contrast, there there are agents that have like every uh, T-ball award that they won and they've got like some sort of glass thing that they got when they once gave a speech in college at the Rotary Club. Yeah. And then and they got awards some BS. The, the awards that they put themselves in for. And... Right. So they so you can write up your own award and then offer ask it your boss to submit it and get you an award. And so sometimes people get that. So just for reference, I had one award posted on my desk <laughs> and it was on a magnet and it was a time off award for four hours. I got four hours of free leave. Right. And it was because they were looking for all the computers because we do annual or buy-in or, you know, every couple of years we do a, like a full inventory. And so there was a computer that was quote unquote missing and nobody could find it. And it was at the desk right to my right. And so when they said, oh, we can't find this computer, I went and looked over there and went, it's right here. I found it. <laughs> so I, so I called the executive officer and I sent, I sent her the serial number and the picture of it. And she was like, you got four hours time off. And I was like, I pinned that sucker up because I earned the heck out of that walking one <laughs> foot away from my chair. I found it like the most embarrassing. It, it's it's symptomatic of the FBI. So that was oh, oh gosh, the awards they give out are are just embarrassing. Now, we, were, we were just talking about this. I said there was a they recognized the at the all employee meeting. They, they called every name up of the person of the people that were on the uh, the VCAC unit, so the violent crimes against children, the child porn folks, yep. except me. And I'm looking around like. Oh, they're about to give the squad an award and I'm not going to get into this. No, you weren't on the team. Rec- I wasn't on the soccer team. That, the soccer uh, team. They had th- the rec team they had formed and that they were getting their due uh, recognition for. Right. Because the FBI has a soccer team that also investigates child porn on the side, just like the Washington <laughs> field office has a an ice hockey team. And I, the only people I know they play is the Secret Service and there's a lacrosse At team. Once a year. Yeah, once a year there's a big game. I don't know if they play any other games. I don't know if anybody else would play with them. I wouldn't. I would just be like, "You're a bunch of feds. I don't want to play sports with you." But uh, but yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing in the FBI that there are recreational teams from the office, and you weren't you weren't on there. You didn't get there early enough to sign up for soccer. So shame on you. No, no, I didn't get to play that combat okay, sport. Okay, so so you got empty desk. Did they walk you to a conference room? Did you get the same yeah, sit down yeah, treatment? They, they, they took me to the conference room, but the SAC was sitting there waiting on her throne, SAC Onks. And uh, she insisted that I take my uh, my phone. Well, on the walk there, I called my wife and was like, hey, come pick me up. 
and uh and my job my my boss uh who as i told tracy earlier today i'm i'm not supposed to name who my boss is uh as a condition of my right pre-publication uh, review uh to speak publicly so i will never name ssra greg federico from the daytona beach resident agency yeah definitely not greg definitely federico. wouldn't we, we're not going to talk about greg federico at all no never not greg federico okay. is like voldemort yeah, we don't say his name. So SSRA is the Senior Supervisory Resident Agent. I think I got those acronyms right, but we don't actually know and we don't actually care, no. I don't think. No. Uh, that's the senior person in a small uh, satellite office if you have a major field office like Jacksonville or New York or wherever it may be, the, the bigger cities. Um, the SSRA is the supervisor of you know above supervisors, even though they're paid the same as the other supervisors. So it's a title-only type thing. And that would be the top person in that eight-person office that you had. There's only one squad there. Is that right? One squad. Oh, I mean, I guess technically the JTTF was a different squad. Uh, okay. But we uh, answered to him too, so it doesn't really matter. One yeah, supervisor. One boss for eight people. So I think that seems like an adequate ratio. Yeah. Well, it's a little uh, light for the FBI, to be fair. But um, but yes. Luckily, you probably had a program manager at headquarters that you could answer to, and a unit chief, yes. and then a section chief, and then there'd be some kind of DAD, uh, deputy assistant director, and then an assistant director of all your programs. Maybe multiple programs if you had more than one violation. So, oh yeah, uh, well, it's a it's a resident agency, so we were addressing uh, terrorism and white collar and public corruption and Talk West and safe streets. Child pornography. So what's that? Seven different program managers that were rotating every eighteen months. Right. So what people, you know, for, for those of you who are listening and getting kind of a, we're trying to give you the glimpse behind the curtain of what the FBI does. And what they do is they manage every program individually out of headquarters. And not only are there program managers for all those different sort of violations, those are different types of um, criminal activity and, and different types of investigations that we would do, but they also do them regionally. So a lot of times you will be, let's say, talk West is trans, uh, transnational organized crime, Western hemisphere very specific, right? That would be uh, mafia, cartels, things like that, that are based over here in North America. But then they also would have an individual program manager that handles that in just a geographic area of the US. So maybe a couple states, it may just be a couple field offices. Uh, the FBI loves them some management. And what would you estimate the number of actual, we have what's clo close to 14,000 agents. So how many of them are doing casework, real casework? Oh man! So I how mean, many of them are actually work, like not not assigned to casework, but I mean are actually working the cases. Yeah, we're working cases. I mean, it's it's got to be a good dozen or so. Um, Easy, but uh, <laughs> it, so just from a field office perspective, I remember them saying like, so Omaha division that I was in had like seventy five agents, but fifty two of them were working cases. Mm -hmm. So that, which means that's that like a third of your manpower is in some sort of supervisory or collateral responsibility. And 12 and of them one... were actually building cases, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's not apples to apples because one violation might you know, have a lot more subjects than another. But uh, I remember we had one year where they, they said what our total number of arrests were for the year as a division. And between mm -hmm. me and the other Indian country agent, we had 25% of the arrests for the division. Sure. That, I mean, that checks out. And and I say that as someone who spent five years doing no arrests on my own case. There was certainly none that were going to happen when I was working CI. That wasn't even a close to possibility. In fact, if it became a criminal case, someone else got it. So that was real. Yeah. And then the second piece of that, which is a little bit bizarre, is uh, doing surveillance specific. You touch everybody's cases, but you own none of them. And so I did that for three years as well. So I'm, you know, I'm one of the non-case agents 
non-caseworking agents, I think there's uh, more and less value you can add. And and Phil was in that position when he was when he was finally canceled, and uh, you know he he was the source coordinator, which is a totally necessary position. But I'm not confident it's necessary for an FBI agent to do. I don't actually know why it's an agent position, but he literally stepped in on the na- the landmine and heard the click, and then he said, "I'll stick around here," and it eventually <laughs> blew him up. But he he was on the bouncing Betty, and it ended up taking him right out at, at, at groin level, unfortunately. Um, and oh. we'll we'll talk about his story another time, maybe. All right, so they sit you down in the conference room, and then they give yeah. you the. They give you the business or they, so uh, yeah. So on, on the walk there, I called the wife. Uh, Cause I at that point got my personal cell phone. And then as I walked in, they took my work phone and they were like, your personal phone needs to be out of the room while this, because they were OPSEC. They don't want me recording anything. So I right. just place it in the hallway and they're like, no, nah, it needs to be further away. So I had to walk back to my desk and put the phone down and come back to sit down and have this conversation. It, it's such a clown show. Like it's, I, I got told that I couldn't bring my phone into uh, my my similar interview like this. They said, you have to leave your phone in the car. I got called back to the office after they decided to revoke my leave. So they, they brought me back into the interview room, which I thought was like appropriate. So I'm sitting in the interview room where we put the criminals, right? And I'm sitting on the criminal side of the desk. They got their back to the wall. I got my back to the door. And when I was walking up, they were like, you have to go leave your phone in the car. And I was like, I don't want to. And they're like, you have to. It's like, whatever. So I went and I did it just like you did. I went and dropped in the front seat of my car, but the whole time I ran my tape recorder, just yeah. kiss my ass. Like I'm a, I'm an FBI agent. And like I record interviews. That's yeah. what I do. So yeah. I just put it in my, my suit pocket and I ran my recorder and I recorded the whole damn thing. Anyway, it was a lot easier. I wasn't going to record it off my phone. I thought I might have to call my attorney. So, you know, I've got a recording <laughs> of that message or that 10 minutes or whatever it was too. I recorded that sucker. It's like, you guys didn't, you didn't tell me why you didn't say you, it wasn't because I couldn't record. You just said I couldn't bring my phone. Fair play. Yep. Let's go very specific yeah Yeah, yeah. so oh so we sit down in the room and uh the sac is there across the table from me and she is struggling mightily to you know not smile because she's that it's like thing that the kids are like she's so just got a bag of candy because she's gonna be able to put this on her 954 suppressing that smile was like an achievement probably her only achievement in her career over 24 years uh but uh, this is the hardest part of the job uh, that she Ooh. tells me. And uh, they, they give me the, uh, the the letter from HR division about my violations. And that is when it is in all my glory, I get to see that I improperly accessed the employee handbook. Did it and say those words is, specifically? Is that it said I improperly accessed uh, bureau material on a, you know, on the classified system. Sure. And uh, so, and they gave me the date and the date and time that I did it. And I was like, oh, that was when I got the handbook. Right. On, on the request of your attorney so that he could defend you. So, and I, so, and I told them that. <laughs> and she looked it around doesn't the matter. room. They, they were, man, they've already gone down the, the no path. Like they, they've already gone down. They're in the dark woods right now by themselves. They don't need to care. They don't care about facts at that point. So that's look, funny. when I told her that, when she looked like to her left and right, like you got that right. Like, like I got the confession. And right. I was like, yeah. Because they've never I done anything it. like, yeah. I, I it's in, I emailed it to my boss. Do you want me to send it back to you? I assume you have the employee handbook, but like I could send it to you if you want it. And right. uh, yeah, so have me sign some documents. And actually, I was thinking to myself, uh, they escort you out too. Yeah, oh yeah, escorted me out. Uh, and then now you can't be in, now you can't be in bureau space by yourself. You need a ex- no longer approved, no and longer cleared. If, when when uh, SSRA Greg Federico, who shall not be named, uh, oh, walked yeah, we didn't out say his name. Me, 
And he was like, yeah, Steve, you, your wife doesn't need to be here. I'll, I'll drive you home. And I'm thinking like, wh- why would I put myself through that 25 minutes of, of awkwardness? What's going to, yes. that's not going to assuage your guilt. It's just going to yeah. make me feel miserable. Right. Why would you volunteer for that? And uh, they feel like no. they have to. Yeah. I they guess. feel like they have to. They didn't want to just like leave me in the parking lot to get, you know, assaulted <laughs> by a homeless person. Because, is that a real possibility really in your like, office? I feel like oh, the FBI yeah. picks offices like uh, like winners. Ours was, we oh. would regularly see people on the cameras that were like homeless and sleeping in the Arroyo. And you're like, yes, there's <laughs> yes, a little sign well, that says, I mean, this is government property. It's like, mm, nobody cares. And when, and having been in two different places where they were scouting new offices and the, yep. the rigmarole that they go through, you're like, how are there this many vagrants walking around the office when, you know, you can't be within 800 yards of a, a daycare facility. And right. There has to be a, and this many egresses and, like, I mean, it's just, it's an impossible standard to me. That's why they always wind up building their own buildings. But well, or uh, they end up, they end up renting something and then they end up having to rent something else because they didn't meet standard and somebody just pencil whipped it. So my office in Las Cruces apparently didn't meet the standard for, uh, for OPM and they were going to find another one, but they'd only been there for a couple of years and they spent all fortune, you know, double layering the walls and creating a skiff and doing all the EM, you know, shielding and all the things they got to go do. And then they're like, this skiff isn't even rated. It's not even good. Even no, though it's a, no. a full on, like we had, a, we had a, a detailee from the CIA that was hanging out there every day and he worked out of that, that office. And it's like, apparently it wasn't legit. So, but it didn't stop wow. us from doing work there and, you know, trying to stop women from praying in front of abortion clinics. So luckily we were doing that still. That's so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to share sort of some of the similarities because it's kind of funny. So I, <laughs> I had a much shorter and no, uh, no joy from the, from the SAC. I think I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt, but you ever shaken shook hands with somebody who was shaking and their their hand was ice cold because they just <laughs> like it's, a it's, dead it's, guy, like a scared person. Oh wow! Like just okay. like just trembling, and um, you know the SAC that that walked me out outweighed me by I don't know a hundred pounds. Let's say it wasn't all healthy hundred, but whatever. He's a hundred pounds bigger than me, and he sat down there and, and I just looked him you know in the eye and he slid over the papers and it's like. Oh, you know, sh- sh- and when I shook his hand, it was ice cold. And I was like, why are you wanting to shake my hand? Like, I don't want to shake your hand, but I'm not going to not shake your hand. If you put it out there, I don't care. It doesn't mean yeah. anything to me. Uh, they took your badge and your gun, obviously. Right. Yeah. Was, and was the office empty for you too? No, I had to clean my own office off. That was the best part. I oh, went and got a box geez. and I shoved all my stuff in there and there wasn't that much in there. And I, they go, are you keeping this? So here's the, here's the best. Uh, my office, which was recently moved, you know, six weeks earlier to a new cubicle space. I had two books on it. And one of them was called like, it wasn't the FBI way, but it was something, it wasn't Frank figs, whatever garbage, but it was, it was something about like FBI excellence. And it's, it was really funny. And it was paired up with, James Com- no it was called a uh, total it was called compromised how the FBI has been destroyed by big money and political operatives and this thing that was what it was called I can't remember the author but someone gave it to me and I was like yeah it's going to my office boom <laughs> compromised the FBI is compromised and then the next one right next to it was a higher loyalty by James Comey that my mother <laughs> and so people would look at it and they would get really mad about the Comey book and I was like it's a box set you know, it's a two book set and they would look over and it's like James call me a higher loyalty compromised. (laughs) It was really good. And then uh, somebody was like, you're going to take, you know, you you left your books. And I go, no, that's for you guys to read. I left that for you. And uh, a couple other things. And the best is, is that prior to my, um, my initial walkout, when I stopped, when I refused to do the nose swabs, I took my badge out of the leather carrier 
So everybody's seen an FBI badge. They're about the size of a half dollar, right? They're about this big. Yeah, tiny but shiny. Tiny but shiny. And it's sticking in a little piece of uh, leather, black leather. Usually people usually wear it on a belt or they have it around their neck, whatever. And it's a little guy. And I pulled mine out of the leather because I bought that leather with my own pocket money. And I stuffed my badge and I stuck the pin into my bulletin board and I left it there from November 2021 until they took it off the bulletin board when I was walked out on April um, uh, 18th. And so they're like, we're going to need your badge off your belt. And I'm like, I don't care my badge on my belt, you clowns. Like, go get it. It's over on my desk. So they went and they got it and they go, we're going to need your gun off your belt. And I was like, yeah, it's also at my desk. I just left it there. I carry my own gun. I'm not carrying your garbage gun and my gun is a lot better like for example this is an fbi uh pistol this is a glock 19m that is milled uh for an rmr and it's like an appropriate tool for a professional and the one they had was like iron sights and they weren't going to transition over for five years or whatever so i just was like screw it like you can have your gun it's already sitting over there and our, my asac asked me for the magazine because i popped the magazine out because i didn't trust you don't want to give a gs-15 a loaded weapon they haven't handled one in forever, right? That's dangerous. Yeah. So I I dropped the mag and I and I racked the the round out and I took the round and the and the thing and I and I put them and he goes, I need your magazine too, because I gave him the empty gun and I was like, <laughs> I said I said that's my magazine, I own it's it. My, it's my personal magazine. It's my personal sure. magazine. It was too because it was marked. <laughs> I go put your hands out and he goes like this. He puts his hands out and I just click 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 click. I just downloaded <laughs> you gave all my him rounds. Your round. Yeah, and I gave him the last. one. He goes, I need the last one too because it fell in the backpack or something. And I was like. Here you go, dude. Like, there's your rounds. Yeah, and he was like, "We're gonna sets. need to, we're, we're gonna need to collect the magazines from this gun too." I'm like, "You can follow me home if you want." And when I and they did, <laughs> they, they followed me home. And I pulled down this like Tupperware bin. It's like a 20 inch by 30 inch like basket, and it's full of Glock magazines because I have a a ton of them. I was gonna say something else, but yeah, I have a I have a poop ton of. Glock magazines and like every leg, like 33 round mags. I got, you know, I probably got, I probably got 20, 40 caliber magazines. I got a ton. And so I go in there and I just like, I'm like, I got to figure out which one is yours. <laughs> so I start digging through and I'm like, oh, here you go. Here's a Gen 5 19 magazine. Here's a Gen 5. There you go. Do you want three? How many do you want? And they're like, uh, yeah, three. And I go, here's a third one. Like, get out of my garage. <laughs> like, just take it. And then I was like, oh, here's two 40 cal mags for that little baby gun that you carry around for some reason. Here, and there you go. Those are for you too. And so I gave my my former boss a couple of them. And he was like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> it was really funny. It was super funny. And the best part was the reason they followed me home was because they had to get my body armor because my soft armor was at home. Okay. And uh, And my wife was like, she put it out on the mailbox like out by the street and it just sat out there for like a 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it fell off before we got there. So it was like on the ground or it was like, it was just hanging and the wind blows it out there. So they came and picked, it's like, there's your body armor and like, get off my property, whatever, just go away. And the best part I think was that my house was probably nicer than the SAC's house up in Albuquerque. Cause we were in a really beautiful spot of Las Cruces. It's just a beautiful place. It's not very expensive. And so it's kind of a little hidden gem. So I'm out on like two acres of, you know, property, like with gorgeous mountain views that you could pay $5 million for in anywhere else. And they're driving up, looking around. And it's like, I'm going to get to hang out of my house again. I don't know. I went to work for six weeks this year. That's how long I was at work this year. Six weeks. Wow. That's all of it. And then I got a little bit of a unpaid leave and or a paid leave rather. And then, you know, it's been almost eight, nine months of an unpaid this year between AWOL and whatever the hell I'm doing right now. So Anyway, you're you're stepping into the abyss. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll tread. You can tread water with me, or we'll fall until we hit it. Whatever it is, but it's fun. That's right, man. That's it. We're just gonna start our own Mercs 
a business and we'll just be yeah, the suspendables. The suspendables. <laughs> People who want to get, it's like some shady, like not very tall guys that uh, have some skill sets. That's right. I, well, oh yeah, we Liam Neeson, like I have a certain set of skills. That's, That's right. just always said. Yeah. Uh, I, like I, my, I, my skill set is probably most capable of like finding cheating spouses. Like I could get Phil on board with that. We're pretty good at sitting and watching and taking photos. Really good at just patient surveillance work, you know. And then maybe okay. someone goes out. You could be part of the team that goes and confronts the spouse. It's like, did you, you know, this kind of thing. I, I look at look at my grill, man. I'm, I got to be face of the franchise. I got to be all on the marketing yeah. side. Yeah, no, I'm right. I'm scruffed. I, I can't I can't go like so so here's something kind of funny and, we'll, and this will segue into what we're going to talk about. Um, quick question. So uh, my buddy Joe Puglis uh, said he tried to send us a tip for twenty bucks. I don't know what that means, but good on him. Uh, he said I want to know what Steve thought of Quantico versus the Police Academy. Um, I'm sure you've had this conversation with dozens of agents who are former cops, and um, you know, and I know Joe has an opinion that she, he and I have shared ad nauseum. But what what was your opinion? He calls it Disneyland. He calls Quantico Disneyland. Um, oh, no question. No question. Um, I mean, they 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 want to they, they can't make a decision. Are they going to be professional learning and we're all going to be grown-ups? Or are we going to be 18-year-olds at boot camp and army and try to like scare you to make you think dad's mad at you? Mm-hmm. Do it really in, inadequately. So I mean, if you show up there, at least in my experience, if you were prior law enforcement, prior military, they were just kind of like, all right, just we're going to leave you alone and then we're going to stress out the other people that are thinking that they're at boot camp so they were right. just you know riding them and like are, are you prior law enforcement all right just get back to the line we're not going to make you do anything and because they weren't they all weren't the other no no and i mean what my, my whole thing was stay in the middle of the herd like it's top of the bell curve let throw around her here or there just just because i don't want it to be spotlighted in any way, shape, or form, right. and everybody call that the gray studying. man. That's right, and and yeah. and everybody was studying all night, and they were doing their their uh, their weapons checks in the hallway at one o'clock in the morning to get ready to do a you know a firearm session. And That's I right. just thinking, you you know how easy getting an eighty five is. That's what you need to get. Like it's hard why? to screw that up. Especially at that point, because they've got, for me, four years invested in hiring me. Like, do they really want to lose that investment? Well, and what's funny so. is that, yeah, that's the, that's the thing, right? So if you, if you, the, the people that studied all night, it was a tax on people who couldn't do math. Because yeah. if you looked at what they drop out of any given class, it's 5%, right? Yeah. And, and, and so- then they also have, there's no doubt in my mind that they don't want to have a hundred percent pass on everything. So they always like at every single assessment would like pick one or two people to fail and then immediately pass them. And they, but yes. they just doing it randomly. So I remember. Right. It's like, oh, you failed your push ups. It's like my chest yeah. is hitting the ground. Can you see the sweat stain from the entirety get, of my sternum? What are you talking about? Get lower. No, get, get, lower get lower. Get lower. Yeah. It's like dig a hole, idiot. All right. They got, but they got they me. They failed the Navy on... SEAL out of one class <laughs> for push ups. Yeah, sure. They failed I mean... me on handcuffing. Yeah. And I came in as a cop. And right. they, uh, and, and I just was like, I told them my, my camp counselor, that's what I called her uh, ahead of time. I that's was what like, I called them too. <laughs> yes. They were like drunken like, camp counselors though. They were drinking and trying to like, mine were both dudes. And one of them was trying to, to hook up with ladies. All the, all the ladies. That's yeah. Right. It's so weird. <laughs> mine was a female and she was still trying to nail the ladies. Strong. That's that <laughs> but, diversity. That's our strength. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told the camp counselor, 
hey, uh, they're going to fail me on this. And she's like, oh, you're stressing out. I was like, no, I just know they're going to fail me because every day they're, I'm, I'm a gray man, but every day they're dogging me about how to handcuff. So right. sure enough, they fail me. And, I, and she comes up to me like all somber, like, and I was, and I was just laughing. I was like, they failed me, right? And she's like, why are you excited? I was like, because it just proves I'm right. Correct. And they, yeah, they, it's they brought me arbitrary. in for my, for my makeup test. And it was between the end of our, our, uh, our defensive tactics class and lunch. It was going to be during lunch. And these guys were pissed because they didn't want to miss lunch. Right. And it was going to be like a half hour test. So they're like, all right begin and i handcuff a person and then i'm supposed to search them down i handcuff them and i go to search them they're like and the rest let's go to lunch yes exactly. turned around and walked away my uh my, so my buddy my buddy jake had a very similar experience he got failed on a quote-unquote tactical scenario this is a combat veteran marine who has uh he he said he got sick of clearing some of the things i guess he he was on some combat patrol and he ran out of uh like frag grenades and so this thing he told me was that he had a Jansport backpack that he bought in the, like the the BX or the PX or whatever, and he just carried it and he filled it to the brim with frags. And he had forty pounds of frags that he carried on every every patrol because he never wanted to run out of frags again. So this guy failed going into a room and pointing a gun in a like a, a semicircle arc, you know, and then addressing the threat apparently. Uh, so that was that was a big problem. So then you know, and he comes back out and he's like, I was like, what happened? He goes, they failed me. And I was like, yeah, it checks. And and people are like, oh my god, are you? are you concerned one more failure and you're out? And he was like, no, I'm not, not concerned. Why would I be concerned that this, you know, it's Disneyland, Disneyland. It's a small world. You just have to, sometimes the ride gets stopped. You have to rewrite it. And that's all. So, 100%. Um, all right. Well, Joe, Joe will be happy to hear that you had the same as I think all of us that were serious people. I think I told you guys, uh, and I may have said this last time, but uh, I got questioned cause I refused to work out. Um, when, you know, when I was in the air force, we did, I did a lot that's of a suitability PT. issue. I've, I've never, I've never had a, a pushup not counted in a, in a, uh, an eval. I failed. I've gone to muscle failure before in my life. It's not a good feeling. Um, just knowing that you're weak, but, um, but I've never had a pushup not count and I had some pushups not count. And, and then, you know, I still passed my initial assessment and that's the end of it. Like for a lot of people, like if you finished your, your, your PT test up front, then that was, you didn't have to work out again. And so I, I saw that and I, I disrespected the process to that level. And so people were like, Oh, you know, are, are you going to the gym? And I was like, no, man, I'm on once a month right now. Um, I had a friend who was on twice a days. He was working out morning and night. He got shingles. He almost died. Because he was, yeah. Just like wrecked his body, like fell apart. I did one workout a month, whether I needed it or not. And it was fine. And I got out and I was still fine. And, yeah. You know, I mean, the guy was nothing I couldn't. There were two guys across do. the hall for me that were like, you know, really chill. And it was like, they're, they were going to work out and every day it was like, Hey, what are you, what are you guys going to work out? They're like chest and back, chest and back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why would it, why? it's bro camp? Why? Yes. So yes. I was working and, out my sleep muscles cause I was getting nine hours of sleep. And, uh, and thankfully I caught up on enough sleep at the FBI Academy to not sleep for the next year because my, my first daughter, refused to sleep so i was like i've been training for this for five months just <laughs> hanging out doing jack at this silly place the only night that i didn't sleep nine hours um was the night that trump was elected which was oh. probably and and like you i was like you i uh you know gary johnson was my guy in 2016 um i didn't really have a strong feeling one way or another i i wasn't i was voting out of texas so it didn't matter just like you you were in what iowa yeah and I was going to go for Trump and Texas is going to go for Trump. So it was like, 
how do we make this third party viable? I do think the FBI needs, I mean, not the FBI, but the country needs a, a viable third party in this case. So sure enough, Gary Johnson, 2016. But, you know, I'm I'm hoping that if it's going to be of the two of them, that it's going to be Trump. Like, I don't I don't really want to live under Hillary America. Um, yeah. I was in the military under Obama and I enlisted under Obama. So it is what it is. I mean, it's like I didn't get real political, but I do remember watching people crying on CNN. And when grownups cry about politics, I laugh so hard that I cry. And so <laughs> my my roommate looked over. My So I actually had like one of the dorm rooms with another grown man sleeping in a bed next to me. I was 35 <laughs> years old. And I've got some guy you know, who's, a, who's a great human being, but I think he was 28 or 29. And he's got a brand new baby that he's watching on like his you know dad cam before he goes to sleep. He passes out at 8, 30, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm sitting here watching the returns on these little stupid things because the only channel I could get was CNN. And like Van Jones was crying. Mm-hmm. What am I going to tell my children? That. And I laughed so hard. I woke up my roommate and I didn't feel bad about it because I thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard of. It was so funny because everybody, if you remember, it was in the bag. Like I think oh, yeah. uh, Bongino, Bongino talked about on his radio show today that there was a 0% chance that Trump was going to win oh, yeah. a couple weeks out. It was so, like 96% or 98% on the New York Times thing like that day. Right. It was throw all of your money on this bet. And like, I remember these people didn't know what to do with this information. And it was like, I'm in the clown show. I'm at the FBI Academy and nobody has punched me in the face and it's not hard. And the girl from Quantico, the TV show, you know, claimed that it was the, uh, what did she say? It's like the hardest boot camp, And it's the, it was, and, and yeah, the it most was difficult of grad school, the most elite grad school. Grad school, like, this is- law school and like, a special forces training and right uh, it, except go you just uh, at the airport hook up with a dude in uh in in the Correct. airport yes. parking lot so all of that was like well that's actually pretty accurate it turns out you know what that's the funniest thing i thought that was the least <laughs> accurate part about that show going into it and then when i left i found out like half my classmates were just like getting some strange on the side i had a buddy who like i wasn't mad at him he was a single dude he went out and bought a vehicle because he was chasing tail every night and he needed yep. a vehicle he flew to he flew to quantico and then bought a jeep so he could go out and just smash <laughs> at night which is hilarious that's the funniest thing ever that's how little he took it seriously so that's really funny and then i found out like people were hooking up on the side that were in the class and they were you know hooking up with each other from other classes and they're leaving their spouses who were fbi agents you know, yeah. like oh, yeah. women that I worked with who were married to other agents, went to the academy and found a new husband. That's bizarre. Like it is a cesspool of just grossness. So I, I specifically didn't have any beer and I didn't, you know, I didn't drink a single drink while I was there. I just didn't trust anybody. But so that was one of the things my applicant coordinator told us. So uh, I got my packet to show up at, you know, Quantico and I lived four hours away from Atlanta and they're like, okay. Hey, you got to come pick up your packet. I'm like, you can't FedEx it to me? They're like, no, no, you got to come up here. So I, it was my 12th trip that I took to Atlanta. Of course. So, and I, I took up, I showed up, sat down, give me your packet. And they're like, and just so you know, don't have an affair. I'm like, good parting words, coach. Turned yes. around and, and, and drove home. Yeah. But the, uh, so, so you were at Quantico when Trump got elected. I was there too. I wasn't doing SWAT school. Yes, so, I probably saw you in the cafeteria wearing your pajamas, and I was yes, not in my non fitting, yeah, non fitting because they gave me like the XL that I had to roll up. You had the long roll, long roll. <laughs> <laughs> so good. You know what's funny? So I I went back um, almost immediately as a uh, as an adjunct medical instructor. So like uh, you know I've been a paramedic since uh, two thousand. 
early 2012 and you know the free resource i'm in the dc area swat school happens there's a, an emergency medical block there and so i'm you know i've gone back and i watched some of these guys like like have the tactical yard sale falling out of the bearcats on training and not mm-hmm. knowing how to address a threat and you know it, it's a death aid and i'm gonna hide behind this hill and do a low crawl it's like dude <laughs> what are you what are you prepping for you, you and they couldn't figure i watched guys get injured you know just stepping out of the bearcat which is actually probably where most sports injuries happen and mm-hmm. sprains and, and all kinds of stuff especially when you're wearing a bunch of kit falling out like i've i've treated that in real life too it's it is what it is but uh man i was i was woefully unimpressed when i actually got to go back and see what the swap basic was the instructors seemed competent some of the dudes showed up with skill sets they were yeah. already competent and the ones who didn't show up with the skill set you know they were a disaster and uh and they so i i got lucky because the when i came through it was still like crawl walk run as far as mm-hmm. learning the cqb and they were like very much hey guys we're starting at day one i know some of you've been with your teams for a while trying to get here so you do have you know some knowledge but we're just going to go to that beginning then the guy like a year or two later that went there was the next guy from the omaha team he's like yeah we did hostage rescue the first day we were just like sprinting through the rooms and they they had some that's the FBI academy for you though. It's it's like Yeah, they're they're like, so here's what's gonna happen, guys. Like you're gonna come in and you're gonna immediately have a fall off in skill set. And then your surge is gonna overtake that and it's gonna be better than if we just did slow, slowly but surely improving your your knowledge set. I'm mm-hmm. like I whoever did that got a QSI or some sort of retirement gig after the fact because he, yes. he got a really cool yeah. PowerPoint. It's the exact opposite of what happens in real life, but it is the way they teach the academy. So, you know, for folks that, that are imagining that there's some great skill set transfer, basically there's like a few seconds of briefings, then there's a walkthrough and then you're examined on it and you suck at it if you didn't know how to do it already. So in the same way that I walked in knowing how to interview people and how to talk to, to bad guys and, and elicit information and all the things, cause I used to be in sales and, you know, used to be a cop. So, you know how to do field interviews and you got to, what was it? Ronald McDonald was your first field interview. Ronald so. McDonald, my first field interview. Yeah. So you're basically a pro. And then, uh, you know, I have all these other people that have literally been working behind a screen or been going to law school and have never had to talk to a human being in the wild. And it's just a total, it's a total crap show. Did you watch the videos of any of your classmates doing the interviews? Because we had to do like peer reviews. Yes, peer reviews. And I remember watching this one of this guy and he was so socially awkward and he was really long and gangly. And he was, he started because you, you, your subject sits down in the regular chair. You get the wheelchair so you can like move. So you can roll in to <laughs> roll in. And he went the exact opposite. <laughs> and he started creeping back and creeping back. By the end of the interview, he was in the corner of the room. I mean, yeah. completely on the opposite. Side. I was just like, I, I which I is a technique. I mean, it's a technique, language. but it's not a technique for, for, that you use for, for shooting a rifle. <laughs> I think the only time that I've seen the uh, creeping back to the back of the wall was the technique my brother used to use in college when he would like whisper. He would always speak really quietly to make women lean in to hear what he had to say. My brother's a pretty good looking guy. And so, and he thought he was, you know, super charming. So he would just kind of whisper a little bit. And so he would speak quieter and quieter. And then he would just walk backwards and try to get women to like walk across a room with him. And he was like, yeah, she follows me across the room. She's into me, which, you know, there's something to that, right? There's some human psychology there, but I don't think that works in a criminal interview. I think they want to be far away from you. So you're just helping them out. That's that's right. You're just doing the Homer Simpson into the bush routine. It's not going to be good for getting that confession. Get yourself away from that situation. That was not fun. Let's get out of here. All right. So, um, yeah. So Disneyland, Joe will be satisfied with your answer, I think. And then uh, more importantly, the just absolutely bizarre sexual encounters that happened and the sort of cartoon um, 
adultery that that takes place all day. So that kind of segues me, and I know we're kind of wrapping. We only got so much time for Phil. Let's uh, let's move into our special present that that we have for Phil. Um, one of the things that you mentioned on the Dark to Light podcast with Tracy, and she doesn't know how big of a bombshell it was that you dropped, but I heard that I celebrated a little bit. I've been I've been I wish I had these things. So I'm 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 not going to take them from you, and I'm not going to ask them from you. But I want you to dole them out to me like like a kid who's slowly getting candy from Halloween. Like my parents <laughs> took them away. And so what Steve has are several years of. A, a very interesting publication that the FBI puts out internally and they're not for everybody else, but I think it's illuminating for anybody. And honestly, I I'm actually appalled that they're not public. I think these things should be 100% transparent. I would argue that in front of Congress, this should be put out and they should. And if you're a senior executive or a, um, you know, at the top end of a field office, you should have your name written on this. So the, uh, the FBI doesn't have a traditional internal affairs process. It's actually, it's broken into two. So most police would go in front of internal affairs, internal affairs does the investigation. And then, and then, I don't know, management makes a decision for cops in the FBI. We have an internal affairs intake unit. They vet the claims they're investigated by somebody in that unit an inspection division. And then they go in front of a group called OPR, which is the office of professional responsibility. And we've dropped a lot of acronyms, but OPR is the group that adjudicates what is going to happen, what your punishment is based on the investigation into you when you've done wrong. So uh, we commonly will say, I've been OPR. That means like you've been investigated by IA. Um, I've been OPR. Have you been OPR? I have been referred to them, but according to my ASAC, they didn't, they, it's just a referral. It's just a referral. Well, I, yeah. I so the, the call that's on my Rumble channel is from the woman who's investigating me on behalf of my OPR, which is for unprofessional conduct to a police officer. So I have a, an active OPR investigation, I guess, whatever the heck that means, because I don't work there anymore. And uh, and so you've been referred to it. What happens when that's all wrapped up is they go to a, a, some sort of process. They they ping it against the code book and find out what the violation is. And then they mitigate it if, if you didn't if you weren't as bad as you could have been under that, or if there were some exacerbated conditions, because not only did you have, you know, sex on the desk at work, but you also did it while like high-fiving like another agent who was doing the same thing on another desk or whatever weird things going on. And that's not that far outside the range as you guys will find out. Um, when those things happen, they put out this pamphlet. It's called the OPR quarterly work stops when it is emailed in places where work is not really going on anyway. And everybody reads the OPR quarterly and it tells you, the crime, what was found out during the investigation, and the punishment, which is almost always as eye-opening as the crime. Would you agree? Like, yeah, there, yeah. There are there's, people there's that are working in the FBI that have done things that are incredible. And yeah, and gotten nothing. Or or you know, or just or people that have had things that have happened to them that were no fault of their own, and then they've gotten slammed. Slammed, right? Like some guy, yeah. uh, you know, stopped to pick up groceries on his way home from work, and then got into like someone back, backed into his car, and then he reported it. But the grocery store was more than two miles outside of his route, so he gets just hammered by it, and then so he gets thirty days on the bricks or sixty days on the bricks or something like that on the bricks, meaning you have no pay, suspended without pay. But then we'll find out that like some lady was given BJ's. Like where she, you know, to a subordinate and then fondling another female in the locker room and she got the same punishment and she still works there. And, and yep. that's real. That happened this like in the last year. So anyway, Steve's going to give us a couple of nuggets of gold in the last couple of minutes. Maybe pick out two choice. I know you've been looking at them tonight. We're going to go back yeah. to 2017 and we're going to share a couple of them. So um, it's your show. All right. So I'll uh, very, very standard fare. That's what we'll begin. Um, 
unprofessional conduct. So the offense is going to be unprofessional conduct off duty offense code 5.22. Employee was assigned to a human trafficking task force investigating a particular massage parlor. Without consulting supervisors, fellow task force officers or anyone else, the employee decided to obtain a, quote, undercover massage at the massage parlor in question. After being shown to a room, the employee fully undressed and laid face down and uncovered on the massage table. A young female masseuse entered the room and began massaging the employee. Halfway through the massage, the masseuse offered to provide sexual favors in exchange for money, which the employee purportedly declined. The employee's actions were in violation of the DIOG and the Undercover and Sensitive Operations Policy Guide. The employee was not a certified undercover employee, did not have approval to do a cameo undercover appearance, did not have backup, and used his personal money to pay for services from the massage parlor employee who the employee knew was under investigation. In aggravation, the employee's actions harmed the FBI's reputation with our law enforcement partners. The employee failed to acknowledge wrongdoing. The employee has shown repeated lapses in judgment in prior cases, and the division lacks confidence in the employee's potential for rehabilitation. Okay. Any mitigating factors? Uh, No, none. Just aggravating. Okay. Mm -hmm. And our punishment is what? They resigned in lieu of being proposed for dismissal. They were allowed to uh, resign with their honor intact. Yep. And no names. No names. No names at all. And and we know this wasn't a super new employee because that would have been a mitigating factor. And they mm-hmm. also had a, a, a history of this kind of stuff. Okay. Yep. So that's a good, that's a good taste. Um, that could fall under really, really bad judgment. Maybe not as... Yeah, I don't know about the stripping naked <laughs> massage parlor and getting a, getting a sketchy <laughs> massage from the massage brothel. I did have a friend who will remain nameless, actually nameless, um, who's a, a a pretty funny guy, and we were we used to make fun of him because he would go and get sports massages everywhere we would go on trips. And one of the things he told me, just uh, totally unsolicited, I love unsolicited advice from people that do things <laughs> that I don't do. And he goes, "You know, Kyle, if there are um, bars on the window of a massage parlor." that's a brothel. And I was like, Oh, pro tip. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Um, not going to be a thing. I don't like people touching me. I don't like people touching me at all. I certainly don't want a stranger touching me and I'm not taking off my clothes for it. Cause then I have to explain why my gun is going to be in my hand while I'm getting massaged. Cause I'm not a trusting person. And, uh, and this whole experience has not made me any more trusting. So anyway, but, uh, if, if any of you are out there and you're wondering, Hey, is that a legit massage parlor? Look for the bars in the window and, uh, uh, tactical unnamed, I won't say his name, but that's uh, <laughs> Phil knows who it is. Phil knows 100% who that is. Mm, Anyhow, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, be, be on the guard. Okay, give me uh, one to two more, and then we'll wrap this All up. All right, yeah, this one will be quick. Uh, employee posted a help sign on the exterior window of a bureau office building as a prank to protest the newly configured and smaller-sized offices. The sign was visible from the street and resulted in an FBI police response related to a possible hostage situation. In mitigation, the employee expressed remorse and has 10 years of FBI service, positive performance record, no prior disciplinary matters. Moreover, according to the division, the employee was working long hours on a high priority case, which may have contributed to the lapse in judgment. So that was Washington Field. Is that right? Yes. It had to be if it was FBI police. Right. There's no other one to have them. Phil, you remember this going down? I do. Yeah. We, made we the, know who it was. We made the quarter. I'm, I'm not saying we should name them, but it's probably somebody on a CI squad who was bored out of their mind. Standard, yep. yeah. High priority case that didn't actually have a lot of work to be done. 
that they could write a help sign on I, the uh, seventh floor. I, I don't remember the punishment though, and I think it might be fun for Kyle and I to guess. Well, so okay, uh, so hold on. So for people who can't picture this, in in Washington D.C., there's a place called Judicial Square. The FBI's field office is there, and it is a nondescript, high-rise, eight-story not high-rise, but eight-story blockish building. Um, you know, alternating window and granite. And so the, the windows are big and on all the upper floors, all the windows are always um, shaded because they're skiffs and they're sensitive areas. So you would basically have an entirely blank open set of windows with nothing but blinds closed. And then this help want, this help sign. And there's a big, uh, there's a metro station there and there's a big courtyard and there's a big parking lot in front of it. And it's right across from the, um, from the building museum. What the heck is that place called? The, Ar- the architectural building museum? Yeah. The building museum. Anyway, there's yeah, the building museum. So it's like there, there's a museum next door, and you walk out of the museum, and you would see this this help sign, which is really funny to me. Um, I'm gonna say that this person got a letter of censure in their file that they were told, "Don't ever do that again. You embarrassed us." Phil, Same. what do you think? Same. Okay. You're both correct. Letter of censure. That's all they got. We've seen these a before. Miscarriage is- of justice. That's right. <laughs> that should have been at least three and, and, and days. To be fair, no, the, no, the punishment should have been like uh, you have to do the MC at the next ADIX brief. You got to warm up the crowd. That would yes. have been the right thing because you're a comedian. Yes. And yes. if we had any sense of humor at all as an agency, that's what would happen. But all right, uh, give me one more. Last one. All right, uh, misdemeanor, misuse of position, weapon safety violation, unprofessional conduct. After an evening of drinking and while walking to a bus stop, employee urinated in the bushes. Approaching police officer informed employee it was a crime to urinate in public and asked him to move along. The employee responded by yelling profanities at the police officer. The police officer responded by arresting the employee for public urination. A police officer noted the employee was extremely intoxicated, armed with a bureau weapon. The employee continued to be belligerent. In mitigation, the employee has a positive service record, no prior disciplinary matters. In aggravation, the employee is a supervisor and has such yes. to a higher standard. The employee's actions reflected poorly on the FBI. Sure did. Okay, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say 30 days. Yeah, 30 days on the bricks. Oh man, supervisor, only 21 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 21 days without pay and. Um, that's fantastic. All right. So those are the kind of nuggets that we would read. And there are some that are significantly more scandalous. Steve was, uh, he's holding back on me. So we'll get them next time that we talk, but um, stand by for more of that. Uh, Phil, anything you got to add? No, just a reminder to uh, plug the new podcast. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes as well as Spotify. And uh, that helps more people find us move up the charts phil is doing whatever magic is going on in the background he has unilaterally named our podcast that was not even known to be a podcast he's decided it's a podcast because he needs a new <laughs> hobby and so now he is running a kyle seraphin show like and i'm sort of like uh, getting towed behind on it uh steve people can see you what this week on yes yeah, uh, uh, yeah so tomorrow on radio uh 10 o'clock a.m i'll be on bex radio show uh Wednesday night is a uh, special on the Blaze TV show. It's a two-hour uh, new commercial special about the tyranny of government, and I'll be making an appearance there. Okay, fantastic. So, folks, tune into that. Follow uh, Steve's handle, real underscore Steve Friend. You can follow me at Kyle Serafin, and you can follow Phil at, at Phil Kennedy, all on Truth. I'm also on Twitter. If you are on uh, that space right now, you may already be following me there. Um, uh, last little thing, I will uh, put out another video for Wednesday morning. I'm going to actually just uh, chop up the 
the um the radio show that I did in this little town in Arizona that nobody would have gotten a chance to hurt here. Um, it's 45 minutes or so after we take out the commercials on there. So I'll punch that up on my rumble. So you can look for that. And then we'll try to do something else on Friday as well. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks Joe for <laughs> sending me his comments. He was very excited about the fact that we believe it was the CI squad since Joe got fired from a CI squad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we think, thank you guys all for uh, all your support and uh, we hope you have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.